Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. Racefuels.com.au for all your fuel at the racetrack. This is the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast and your hosts, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for 2024 and our 41st episode of the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast. I did notice that uh, on social medias and Mark Tierney, the owner at Race Fuels, they've opened back up again, a short, short break this year, plenty of racing all the way up to Christmas. And of course, Bathurst with its uh, doubleheader of huge events coming up. The guys at Race Fuels are working very, very hard to keep our sport fueled up right around the country. I'm Darren Smith, and I'm going to keep it short. It's great all the time to go to air with uh, this bloke, Gary O'Brien, and we don't want to get him confused today with uh, car builder from Bendigo, Gary O'Brien, but he's the a guy that for many years uh, wrote stories for A8, he's found a happy home at Speed Cafe these days. Gaz, welcome back to episode number 41 and uh, 2024. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great, refreshing and relaxing Christmas and uh, all the best for New Year. I did notice you were down at Lawn. I was hoping you were going to do the ocean swim, but it appears as though you went to the pub instead. Uh, I was really upset. Totally went unnoticed down there as well. No one sort of came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, you're going to jump in and do the long swim or anything like that. And I said, no, you've got me confused. I'm the other Darren Smith. I've got a, the Racefields Grassroots Racing podcast. So, no, I didn't do the swim, but what a great part of the world. Uh, very, very busy at that time of the year. Gaz, um, we've uh, we've done a pretty good job, I reckon, for the first 40 episodes of the Racefields Grassroots Racing podcast. But um, I'm very, very pleased that we've got this gentleman with us tonight, Gaz. Well, I'm a bit humbled, actually, because... He's a V8 supercar driver, a touring car champion, a Bathurst winner. But we're going to dig deeper than that. We're going to go back to his roots in that uh, little sleepy isle off the south coast of Victoria called Tasmania. And we'd like to say hello to John Bow. Well, how, how, what a nice introduction. Thank you. Yes, I, uh, I'm uh, a grassroots motor racing fan uh, like because everybody starts at grassroots racing some stay there some manage to progress and you know i've always been involved in it since i was a child so yeah good on you for doing some some things for it john our first question always to everyone to get the ball rolling is What's your very first memory of motorsport? Was it a, at the Speedway, a rally stage, Baskerville? Was it uh, Simmons Plains? Was it a something somewhere, a billy cart race even? What's your first memory that you have of motorsport and you went, wow, this is fascinating. I think I might try and make this my living. <laughs> I never thought that ever. Uh, I, to go back a long, long way, my dad was uh, like a 
a mechanic and a tuner of carburetors and modifier of cylinder heads and things in in the early 60s in Tassie. So I was always surrounded by cars. He then bought a, an MG special with a supercharger on it. So, you know, we just, well, myself and my two brothers grew up around cars and racing. So we used to go to race meetings. We were at the first Simmons Plains event that ever was. I can't recall being at the first Baskerville because that was, I was probably very young then. But, um, you know, basically we just, we were a racing family, much to my mother's disgust. And uh, I guess I, I didn't, without realising I caught the bug, I obviously caught the bug. So, and ever since I turned 15 or 16 or something, I've been racing. I've never stopped. Um, I've had little brief breaks, like six months or something, but I've never actually stopped. I've done, if somebody looks at the stats, I've done 1,280-odd races or something. So it's just, it's, uh, I always say to people, it's uh, indicative of how stupid I am. <laughs> all of us, all of us. All There's of a us, sport yeah, yeah. full like, of it. <laughs> but it's absolutely, it's, I love it. I love the sport. I love the people in it, although I don't love all of them. Uh, we can get the to odd, that bit later. <laughs> That's the, the last I've question, the John. Odd, Stop jumping ahead. I've had the odd, uh, you know, disagreement with people over the years and things, but, you know, I, I, I do love it. I love going to the track. I love driving a race car regardless of what it is. So I'm very blessed to be able to still do it. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm racing this year in GT4 just for, for you know, a change and a challenge. So, yeah, I mean, I was a supercar driver, but it's a long time since I was. So I don't class myself as a professional driver. I just do it because I love it. Let's jump right back to the, the beginning. You said, you know, 15, 16 years of age, um, obviously someone had flashed past you with an Elfin 500 and uh, you went and did uh, a little bit of Formula V racing. And, and before you do, Gaz has actually got a, an interesting recount of uh, your first time you went racing at Baskerville. We spoke about yesterday, so I'm going to let him do the, the rude bit of this podcast and then I'll, I'll catch it from the wickets behind you. I can, still, I can still recall it, don't you worry. Yeah, something about the Bentys off the top of the hill. Well, you went oh. bush. Oh, yeah, I ran out of talent <laughs> on the first lap. The uh, <laughs> It was funny, like, the way we ended up in Formula V, my dad and I, I mean, we we decided, he decided that I should race because I was I used to drive without a licence in Tassie and, uh, you know, I was I could have gone either way. I could have been a good bloke or a, or a you know, a bad bloke. Um so we looked at lots of different race cars, a little elf and streamliner that lived in Smithton at the time and a couple of other things in Hobart. And a guy called Lynn Archer, who was a, a very good open-wheel driver in the time, and, uh, was selling a Formula V elf and, and um, Dad had had a, a relationship and a f- bit of a friendship with Gary Cooper uh, which continued on for quite a long time, and and uh, he was a very influential person in my life at that stage. Uh, he said, "Why don't you race a V?" And you know Andrew Stride that does the commentary at the tracks in Tassie. Have you met Stridey? 
Uh, I believe I have, yeah, when I was yeah, doing well, some of the Shannon's rounds a few years ago. Yeah. His dad was a very strong advocate of Formula V and Formula V was getting some steam up in Tassie and Stridey's dad, whose name was Pat, Pat Stride, he talked my dad into to a Formula V, so that's what we did. And it was an Elfin, which suited our family love affair with Elfin, and yeah, so off I went. I, I had no ambition to be anything but just enjoy myself, you know. I, 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 I never had any ambition anyway, to be honest. Uh, like I didn't say I wanted, like youngsters do nowadays, they want to be a supercar driver or a Formula One driver or who doesn't want to be a Formula One driver, but I just went racing, you know. I I, uh, I went to the track and off we went. So that's how it started. I mean, it sounds simple. So how was tell, it us about the, tell us about that, the, the first race in the Formula V. Like Gary's, you know, we're just having a giggle and Gary said, you know, and you said, yeah, I went off on the first lap, but you obviously recovered it because your first season in Formula V you saw some pretty good success come. Yeah, well, this was this. Uh, we bought the car, and it was only one meeting to go for the season. So, um, we had a. It's, this is a long, involved story. We could be here for weeks. Um, we had a. Uh, I got a full battery on the computer, so let's go. <laughs> we had a test day, or not a test day, but we used to call it private practice. So we went up to Simmons Plains. I drove around, ran around the bloody car ran a bearing so that was it so we decided to park it up and get it ready over this the winter you know and then john mccormack who was a terrific driver and a great it was a good friend of my dad's he called in one day and said you know get it going you know whatever work you know like do whatever you can to get there don't don't just pack up and leave so it was a lesson an early lesson learnt you know to do the best you can to get on the grid again you know so we we pulled I had an old VW engine under the bench and we used bits out of that so we made made the car go and then we took it to, to basketball I didn't have a road license so I, I still remember driving into the circuit on Saturday morning and the old man was driving with with a, in his HG two fifty three three on the column mute and towing this little elfin and I f the, the I can still recall the how how nauseous I thought I was going to throw up I was so nervous and I'd been going to races since I was like two years old so it wasn't new going to a racetrack but I was just so nervous driving and I, then I had. Uh, I had a uh, practice, I think I was fourth, so thinking I'm pretty smart. And then the race started and I was still fourth. We went up the hill at Baskerville and round the top corner, which is quite tricky even to this day because I drove down there a while ago this year. Um, and the next corner used to be called Calvin's. It's downhill, off camber, top gear in a V, and I just, I was, I can still recall thinking how smart I was going up the hill in fourth spot. And then I ran out of talent and I ran out into the thistles and the bloody crap falling in. It was a paddock, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't no gravel traps or anything in those days. Yeah. So that was my very big debut, really. But the next season, I, I, I 
you know, we prepped the car properly and had a good engine from a guy in Melbourne called Ian Hill. I don't know whether he's still with us, but so I, I won the championship, the Tasmanian championship the next year against, I thought were quite good operators, you know, so, so it was a good start. Did you enjoy teacher. Formula V when you were doing it? Did you enjoy the the season that you did? Was it was it? I uh, loved you, it, you, mate. Yeah, yeah, just hands yeah, and feet it, on the, at the wheel going racing. Yeah, but it's you know like Formula V now even this fantastic racing. You know, it was relatively cheap. Keeps so racecraft, doesn't it? Yeah, so close. Really taught you lots about slipstreaming and being in the right place at the right time on the right lap. You know, like it was mm. really educational. Mega late breaking, it was it was terrific. I loved it. You know, I, I genuinely loved it. I, I remember my first girlfriend, my first real proper girlfriend, when I first won my first race at Simmons Plains. Um, people were making a fuss over me, and she got the shits with me because I didn't pay any attention to her. So <laughs> that was the end of her. She she got she got flung. <laughs> 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 You've got to be very understanding to hang out with a racing bike. <laughs> Don't you ever. <laughs> Don't you ever. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, anyway, that's a long time ago. Like, truly oh, you you, you recounted so, it like it was yesterday, though. Like you remember that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Look, I, I, uh, I, I'm very clear on how it all went, went about. But um, then the next season we start again and – this first race, I think, was Simmons Plains. So there was a guy called Dave Powell, Tasmanian, Dave Powell Jr., who was a very, very good driver. Uh, he's now left us. Um, he, him and I were racing for the lead at Simmons Plains through the sweeper, and we touched wheels, and he climbed, climbed up over my head, and I ended up with this Dunlop racing tread on my helmet <laughs> and yeah. land, landed in front of me. And, you know, so, and then the next meeting was at Baskerville and Dave Powell Jr. and I crashed together at the end of the main straight and both of us ended up with the noses under the armco. So my old man said, uh, this is too dangerous, this category. I think I think we need to get, it, get a faster car, which is a bit of a contradiction. But so <laughs> then we, together, he, he went halves with me in all these cars until late 70s basically so he uh we bought an elfin 600 formula ford from bruce allison who who i'm sure you're both aware of yeah 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 and went racing in the tasmanian formula ford series as well Well, there was no series it was just open wheelers so yeah we yep. raced i raced it in open wheelers and then eventually we put some wings on it and then we put some weber carbs on it and whatever so i raced that for a couple of years uh, and you know, did well in it and whatever. So we, all this time, we had a, a a friendship sort of with Gary Cooper, and later on, he really helped me along by, you know, I mean, I had more orphans after this. I had a a six twenty three Formula Three car, and then a seven hundred Formula Three car, and then the next car was was a brand new car, the first new race car I'd ever had was a, 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 when the Australian Formula 2 went to single cam engines. It was production-based single cam engines, so there were lots of different engines. There were, uh, in our case, we had a Golf. Uh, there were 
Brian Sampson built a Celica engine. There were Fords, which you could buy out of the UK, steel, all steel in bottom ends. Uh, there were a few Datsun. There was quite a different lot of Geminis and things like that. There was a lot of different engines. It was really interesting and exciting time. So Gary talked me into, I'll buy, you know, if you buy the chassis, uh, I'll supply the engine and we'll run it out of the factory. So can you imagine to a little young character from Tasmania, that was like, you know, being invited to Colin Chapman's house or something, you know. It was like a, it was a big deal to me. So that's what happened. Uh, they finished the car eventually. It took forever. And um, th that car still exists. There's a guy in Sydney got it. I think Malcolm Boyd is his name. And he's, they only built three of those Elfins. Uh, they, they called a 792, 79 for the year and two for the formula. And he's got, Malcolm's got the three of them. He's got all of them. Wow, that's a nice collection. John, there's not yeah. a lot of people that, that get uh, invited into Gary and Lorraine's Inner Sanctum. That's, they're, uh, they were fairly private people. And yeah, they the were. They were very... Had, Normal, very normal. Very, yeah, correct. Very, very, very Adelaide in the mid seventies type of people. Genuine, um, great people. Yeah. The the obviously the advancement from Formula Two into what was the the premier open wheeler category, and I think romantically today we still observe Formula Five Thousand in the in the late seventies as you know as the pinnacle of Australian open wheeler racing, although. Formula Brabham did get a lot more cars on the grid, but um, your move, obviously, with uh, with Gary and with Team Ansett Alphen, um, I dare say, Reg or owned cars where you, you drive, obviously drove, would have driven a few of them as well with the team. Tell us about the move into Formula Five Thousand and and the, the people and the the circuits and that sort of racing. Mate, it wasn't really a move. It was just you know I was racing this. All of a sudden, I was racing this Formula 2 car nationally. Uh, we went to the first race. It came, the car came to Tassie first, uh, and I raced it twice, Simmons Plains and Baskerville, or Baskerville and Simmons Plains. Then I sent it back to Gary. He tested it. I never drove it ever between meetings. He tested it. He used to go out to AIR and test different wings and this and that. He loved it. He, he was a, an absolute genius boffin lovely bloke you know he was he was terrific um and uh the first meeting i raced the car on the mainland as Tasman people call it uh was sandown we came over to sandown one of my mates used to help my dad came who used to sort of work on the car gary got it transported to uh sandown on his truck which we used to call a fruit truck because it looked like a fruit truck <laughs> and uh you know i raced i did one practice session and it's the car the engine split the bore so i was basically out for the meeting and i was i think 10th on the grid or something at that stage they had two practice sessions we couldn't run it again so gary and a bloke uh, and that my dad and bob mills who was his engine builder pulled the engine out, took it to Brian Sampson's Motor Improvements, stripped it down, bored it, put a sleeve in it, put it all back together, and the next day I won the race from 10th on the grid. 
So yeah. I've, I've still got the trophy. It's the Thompson Motor Auctions, who was uh, Lee Seaton, who was a sponsor of many guys back in those days, like uh, Graham McRae, John Davison, people like that. He used to, you know, he was very motorsport orientated and, and is, is uh, still with us and I occasionally bump into him. So, yeah, so it was an interesting time. So um, after that, we, we did, you know, Amaru, Oran Park, AIR, I raced to that. Uh, came to the end of the year and it was myself or Brian Sheed were going to, were in contention for the Australian Formula 2 Championship. And uh, I won the first race, I, th- I think, but I may be wrong. And the second race was wet and the plug lead fell off. So j- jumped off or something. So that's the way I remember it, but it may not be true. But you were running both at the time, weren't you? Running F- yeah, yeah. Because during that time, he said, come and, have, come and have a drive. Come over and have a drive. This was earlier, like a year earlier. He said, come and have a uh, 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 you know, we go into AIR to test the 5,000, come over and have a drive. So Dad and I went over, um, went to the factory, which was like, you know, just a little tiny factory really with chassis tubes and jigs and crap everywhere. And we looked at this car. It was just a bare tub. And I said to Dad, geez, how long are we going to be here for, you know? And like two days later, it was all a complete car. And we go out to AIR and, you know, Gary does some laps. I did some laps. They made a seat for me. In the meantime, at the factory, um, and nothing, nobody said anything. And then later on, he said uh, it, it was the uh, Oran Park last round of the Gold Star. And he said, um, would you like to drive? This was Red Jaws' car. Would you like to drive? Because Vern Schupan had been driving it. Yeah. We're going to do the last round of the goal. So, would you like to do it? And I go, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I'd never really driven it. I mean, I drove it very conservatively at the AIR test, and so I went to Oran Park and raced it. And I came fourth, I think. I think I came fourth. Yeah. Anyway, all using second-hand tyres that Vern had used in the in the te- or the Rothman series. Hmm. So then later on, a bit later on, I drove it again and a, a, a guy, I think his name was Kerry Savage in Sydney, was Cogra Tire Service. He was the importer for M&H tyres from America and they made a tyre for a 5,000 and he, some, I, I'm not quite sure the detail, but he supplied some new tyres and I couldn't believe the difference. A new set of tyres, like, there's another lesson. Like, wow, how long has this been going on? <laughs> I've never heard of M&H, but, gee, they're a good set of new tyres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the cheapest slap time you'll ever find is a new set of tyres. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, I guess, uh, the, the young John Bell, you'd have your, your eyes pretty wide open at this point in time, looking around you with, you know, Formula Five Thousand had the big names in it. There was KB and and Stewart. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. All yeah, of the yeah. you know, Larry was even in there. That's probably the first time. Max he had to Stewart race wasn't there when it, he was since gone. When I started, so I raced against KB. McRae was there. John McCormick was there. Gary, a lot of other guys. I can't recall them all, but yeah, I, I came. I went okay, but um, 
I fell foul of John Walker, you know, from South Australia because I wouldn't let him pass and he couldn't pass me. <laughs> and he, that's where I started to get my reputation for harder. <laughs> but, uh, that's Wayne Webster coined that noise, that that name harder to pass than a kidney stone, but <laughs> but he uh, he couldn't pass me and he got the shits with me big time, you know, like he was trying to thump me at the end of the race because he crashed trying to pass me. And uh, and Mike Cable, you know, the great Mike Cable of journalistic fame. Yep. M- Mike Cable sort of pulled him away from me. So, yeah, it was a – this has been uh, 1978, it was. Yeah. A while ago. Certainly it was. Is. So in in 1979, you were the runner-up in the Australian Grand Prix in that car. I wanted you to talk about that. But I also want you to talk about the MR9, how different that car was. Well, I was runner-up in the in the Gold Star because uh, the engine developed an oil leak and, and I got black flag. So Alfie Costanzo, him and I had a ripping run through the year and I essentially should have won it, but I didn't. Like, should have, would have, could have. Um, 1980, we had a very similar battle, 5,000s. White Grower really, you know, it was the, the fields weren't that big, but the racing was fierce, and Alfie was a great. I mean, he's he's one of my heroes, you know. I, I, I love him to death. I used to give him a hard time. I used to bump into his back wheel with the nose cone of the elephant just to give him the shits. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, and he, well, you, you wouldn't know, know what? what he was saying if he was giving you a mouthful, would you? Oh, no. He, he says, <laughs> honestly, it's so funny. In 1980, Chas Talbot had a crash on the top straight at Simmons and pierced the, they were wooden planks. So he pierced the fence. So there were yellow flags, no safety cars then. Mm. And Alfie, you know, slowed down dramatically, and I thought he—I didn't see the yellow flag, so I passed him at the hairpin because I was right behind him. And then I proceeded to win the race when they re, you know, waved the green flag again, and they—they protested, you know, Alan Hamilton and Alfie protested as they should have done. And anyway, I got off somehow, so I still won the race. So. We had a business, my brother and my mate Cuffy and I had a business for quite a long time, a driving education business, you know, defensive driving, track driving, all that stuff. And uh, Alfie used to come and help for with us, you know, used to coach and do stuff. And I used to, you know, word people up to go and ask him about Simmons Plains, you know, in 1980. Like and they'd and they'd go up to him and say, Alf, do you did you ever race in Simmons Plain? Yes, I bloody do. And <laughs> I, that bloody John Bowie passed me under the yellow flag. And it, this was like thirty years later. <laughs> he truly had never forgotten it. And I mean, I, I saw him last year at the Rob Roy historic revival thing, and he's a he is an absolutely beautiful man, honestly. But oh god, he makes me laugh. He is, he still, is he still selling advertising in your Globo? No, no, he's he's retired. Yeah, he's retired. But he's he looks really good. He's healthy and good, and yeah, great. But he was he was a serious little racer. Yeah, in the con- in the, in the context of this chat, what was he like to race against? Very fair, very proper. 
I wouldn't say I was fair and proper, but <laughs> but he was uh, he was very fair and proper. It's like Peter Brock. I mean, Peter Brock was very fair and very proper, but I used to give Peter Brock the horrors too because I'd do the same to him, bump him his rear bumper bar. He, is that, is that the, where Craig Lance landed off you, was it? No, not really. <laughs> Craig, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I did it to Brock only because it was Brock, you know. I didn't do it to everybody. But I, uh, Brock had this ability to turn his head completely round and look at you through the back window with his burning <laughs> burning black eyes, you know, brown, big, you know, brown eyes, yeah. piercing eyes. And, uh, yeah, so I used to do it just for fun, but he never said anything to me ever, ever. <laughs> Ever, never, never came up later. Sometimes I felt guilty, but not very often. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get to the airport, catch you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see you then. You used to see him at the yeah. airport. I'd, I'd just wave. Um, Gaz, Gaz asked you about the, the transition from the MR8 to the, the 9. Um, yes, yes, that's and, right. And that, was a, that, that was a pretty special piece of Gary engineering, wasn't it? Gary Cooper engineering, that was. Yeah, it was. I mean, he, he built it over quite a long time. It was the era of ground effects in Formula One. So very, very narrow tub to make room for, you know, undercar, underfloor Venturis and things like that. It was very advanced. But, I mean, it had – he raced it in the 1980 Grand Prix at uh, Calder Park and it, it didn't – you know, it had a lot of – it hadn't – basically turned a wheel and he then he raced it like from 1981 onwards I didn't drive for answer team elf and so I didn't know what exactly went on but I did drive it uh, at a sand down round of the gold star in 1981 and he Gary came to me and I was driving an F my f2 car which was Gary's car like a little ground effects f2 car uh Sponsored by Lucky Nuts, and <laughs> I was also driving Peter Fowler's Mercedes. So I, Gary came to me. He said, "Oh, will you, will you drive the the MR9 because it's really spooking me?" Like he'd had a big accident at Sandown, and he didn't know whether it was him or the car or whatever. So um, I said, "Yeah, yeah, because why wouldn't you drive three cars in one weekend? You know, <laughs> why wouldn't you?" Well, you'd only be sitting around doing nothing otherwise. Exactly, you'd only be chewing <laughs> the fat. So, <laughs> I um, so I drove it, and it was spooky. I mean, really spooky. It was really unstable, particularly under brakes. It went. You had to be in the middle of the road because it would go left or right. You didn't know where it was going to go. So, I I told him all this, and um, he deduced that the tub was too flexible. You know, like the the. Mm. When you braked and the forces went through the chassis, like because it was all rocker arm front end and rocker arm rear end, the chassis would flex and the caster would go off it, so it had no stability. And so I raced it. Alfie had that McLaren converted F1 to five thousand that Alan Hamilton had Tiger build, had Ganley built. So Alfie had that. And Alfie was the fastest for sure, and I was running second. And the rear uh, rocker arm, because no one, particularly over here, no one understood the forces that this ground effects actually did. And the rocker arm on the rear bent, and so Rothman's rise, they used to call it then, good old cigarette advertising. Still called Rothman's it, it's rise. Turned, 
it turned hard left basically went down the like within a cigarette paper of the armco through the grass like cut you know high grass mowing the grass but never hit the fence and I thought to myself quickly as a racing driver does now what excuse can I use for this <laughs> and <laughs> when I got it back on the track I realized that something had bent because it kept trying to turn left but yeah so the forces were way greater than anyone understood so after that Gary raced it a bit and then of course he he died very tragically very at a very young age so the car's been stationary ever since and I don't even know where it is but I'd love someone to get it and rebuild it and let me drive it <laughs> to be honest I think I think it's one of those ones that needs to be at least put back together and and taken around on the back of a flatbed and shown to to the world. I think just so that we, yeah, we know that's, that that's, what was going on in Australia at the time was was what was going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, my little F two car, which is the same, he only built one of these. It was called a GE Ground Effects two two five. So I don't know what that meant. Now I would have done at the time, but he. It was really clever. He was a clever, clever guy, you know. Like if he had been in the UK, he would have... Been in Formula One probably. Yeah, of course he would, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that that little car of mine lives in Tassie now. The guy's got it. He's had it for 35 years and he bent the rear suspension, put it in the shed and it's still there and he won't sell it to anybody. Mm. Like Billy Hemming, you know, the Elfin sort of basically. Bill saved Elfin from you know, just being forgotten, he he knows the guy, but the guy won't sell it. And it's a, a absolutely beautiful little car. It, um, I won a race in that or a couple of races in that too. So, yeah, it was good. Anyway. Before we leave the, the late 70s, John, um, I, I mentioned the romance of Formula 5000. Tell us, reenact a lap of Sandown in the late seventies in a in a Formula Five thousand. You come out of the pits, um, you know the straight was longer then because it just about went to the train line before you went. Yeah, down it did. It went right the down pits. the end. Yeah, yeah. They changed it in eighty four when the sports cars came. So, yeah, the you know the world of sports cars. Um, yeah, you went out of the pits. It was on the top little straight between turn one and turn two, basically, which was Tirana Corner. Ironically, um, yeah, and you, you came out of uh, it was called Tirana or Peters. You trod on the throttle. I mean, they were vicious cars. You know, they were genuinely vicious cars. They had crossfly tires, so the crossflies used to grow so in uh, in diameter. And and you know, the back. You, I don't know. I was only young, so you don't take much notice of anything, really. You just. Stand well, on the gas. Plenty of power under your, under your foot and it gave you a good kick in the back. You were laughing. Yeah, you did. I used to start in second gear. Um, and you'd, I can't even remember the revs, which is probably not unreasonable considering how long ago it was. You'd start in second gear and you'd light the tyres up and the tyres would then grow. It was like a dragster. And it would take off down the road like a scalded rabbit. And it was just incredible. And I mean... Back in those days, the grip of the tyres was nothing like what it is now. The the tyre uh, engineering was nothing like it was now. It is now, and the brakes were, you know, not what like they are now. So it was it was quite a challenge. Like a, as a 
I was quite young. I think I was like 25 or something. So, yeah, so it was a, it was a big, uh, big thing, but it was terrific to do. And, you know, I'm very grateful for it. I mean, not every day am I grateful, but now you blokes are talking about it, I'm grateful. <laughs> for the purpose of this. Uh, is the reason I asked yeah. about Sandown is one of my first enduring memories of Sandown is uh, in Peter Jansen's Shinzano double-decker bus watching the start of the Formula 5000 race all the way down the bottom of the straight, and the cars actually disappeared in tyre smoke and fuel vapour before they sort of come bursting down into turn one. Oh, they were, look, honestly, um, like I remember, I remember being in those old pits at Sandown with, you know, my old man and Gary and, you know, the mechanics, uh, you know, uh, I, Johnny Porter was one of their mechanics at the time, he was a great fabricator and later worked for me in the Formula Atlantic Pacific days. Big, big Lance DeLuca there as well. Lance DeLuca was there, yeah. Lance DeLuca didn't put a front wheel on once properly, didn't do it up. And I remember coming through the causeway and the, and the thing started to shake and I slowed right down and went back to the pits and the wheel wasn't tight. So, yeah, it was uh, good, you know, good times, simple times really, like no data, you know, no formal engineering things or anything. It was just, I don't know, whether. You know, you look back and you think life was simple then. It's become very complex, hasn't it? Yes. Life did change after that that era, the the Formula 5000 era, and particularly at Calder, life changed a lot around Formula Mondial, Formula Pacific, whatever it was called at the time. And um, um, you carried your Lucky Nuts sponsor over to the Rolt there as well. And um, I was lucky enough to interview you for Shannon's um, VIP room once, and I rang my mate right here, Gary O'Brien. I said, "What do I ask G- JB? Like, how do I, <laughs> how do we do something different with JB?" And Gary said, "Oh, just ask him what championship he hasn't won." And uh, <laughs> it was a very short interview, and you were off back to the pitch to drive the Toronto. <laughs> I wish that was uh, true, but yeah, but it was uh, that, I've, that I've lucky enough Rolf was in, was I've was a special in more championships than than I've won. To be honest, like I, I came second. I won the Gold Star several times. But I, I came second in it, 89, uh, no, 79, 80, 82. Anyway, that's three. Uh, I came second in the F2 championship, that's four. I came second in the Touring Car Championship about five times. I came second at Bathurst about six times. Like, I've had a lot of bridesmaidy stuff, you know, but I don't care. Honestly, the, yeah. the, the, the role. So we, we we moved the Australian Drivers Championship moves to a new set of regulations. Formula Five Thousand, for all intents and purposes, has been parked up internationally, and all yep. of a sudden we've got these four cylinder, you know, great pieces of engineering out of out of Rolt that pretty much everyone was was running them. The, the Formula Mondial regulations, and um, they called it Mondial because it's, Mondial means world, but uh, they should have just called it Formula Atlantic which they used in America and in England, and they should have done that. You know, it was – Mondial just confused everybody. Uh, Rolf well, we, was, we ended up calling it Formula Pacific out here because of yeah, the region. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but it should have been Atlantic because it was world, you know. Like yeah. everywhere in the world they had Atlantic. They had it in uh, Macau and all sorts of things. So, um, I guess – I guess. sorry to interrupt, but I guess you no, can imagine right. if, if someone mentioned – 
John Bow from Formula Pacific in Australia, you go, well, what sort of cars are they? Are they like ours or are they different? Yeah. If it has been Formula Atlantic, they would have known straight away. Yeah, exactly. They're all lucky like, not to roll gas. I mean, uh, the the guy, Lucky Nuts, his name was uh, Chris Leach. He had a little company. He was quite a good company, obviously. And he was, you know, right into it. My brother, Terry, uh, organised it, you know, knew him, got to know him. I still lived in Devonport. And uh, he made a big, you know, he, he loved open wheel racing, which wasn't everybody's, you know, without, say, Gary Cooper and, and uh, Chris Leach, I would have still been racing in Tasmania. So it's mm. like just things happen for a reason sometimes, you know, like and I haven't had every moment in my racing life has been good. I've had some terrible disappointments, some terrible failures, some mistakes, all sorts of things. But generally I look back and I think, she, I'm still racing. I'm still like, you know, I'm not Max Verstappen, but I'm still able to get around a racetrack without looking like a dickhead mostly, and, um, you know, you, you realise how lucky you were with the, some of these people that helped you along the way, you know, like the guy uh, from Tassie that was the Avis rental car manager, he used to organise me for a car to have to, one of my mates used to fly to Adelaide free on an ANSET flight, uh, pick up a rental car from Avis that this guy in Tassie organised for me, Use Gary's trailer, off he'd go to Amaru or whatever, you know, like how lucky is that? Mm. How lucky is that? Nowadays, you go and talk to anybody about racing and they go, well, how much money you got? <laughs> you know, which is a bit yeah, sad. It is. Isn't it? It doesn't matter what category you talk about either. No, you don't. No, exactly. I mean, it's sad. I, 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 I find it sad. Yeah. Because, you know, there are guys, young guys, like I was a young guy, that are quite capable of doing wonderful things, but they never will get to because, hang on, I'm going out of the room into another room. Um, they'll never the get fridge, to. By the look of it. We'll make a we'll <laughs> commentator out of you yet, John. You're talking your way yeah, through no, the look, lap around the house. I'd be yeah, interested right. to uh, I, I tell should you have shown about you a <laughs> Oh, anyway, I'll show you another time. I've got a, a shrine to myself. <laughs> <laughs> is that to remind you who you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just crap you you collect over the years and it's just like a shrine, you know. You go, Oh God, I remember this, you know, it's 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 bizarre really. I, I always make fun of it, but I suppose it's you know, it's uh it's what I am, isn't it? I gotta I wanna get this back on track because I wanna talk about Calder Park and the the times there that Bob Jane bought Formula One drivers over out of season and, and you were on the grid with those guys racing in that Rolt RT4 that we were talking about and and the names that just flooded into Australia all of a sudden you had to contend with the world's best. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't think poor Bob gets enough credit for what he did. Uh, you know, he's later on in his life was unfortunate a bit with, uh, you know, he was in the front page of the Herald Sun and, you know, doing, arguing with his family and stuff like that. But he did so much for the motorsport and particularly open wheel racing and sports sedan racing and all that sort of stuff. You know, he did, he did so well that he should be acclaimed, I think, anyway. But, you know, 
Motorsport Australia should perhaps give him a post-dumous bloody something, you know, I think, just personally. I don't know whether anybody listens to your podcast, do they? Or... <laughs> well, they're going to start. They're, certainly the Herald Sun are tuning in, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bob should have been splashed all over the back page as being a sporting legend that he was. So, um, yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Um, and, and he bought all these guys like they were F1 drivers. Yes. Like yes. Nelson PK, Jacques Lafitte, Nicky Lauda, Andrea de Cesaris, uh Jeff Brabham at the time was very big in America. Roberto Marino, obviously. Roberto Roberto Marino was the standout, but Roberto Marino had been driving a rolled RT3, same thing, really, Mm. in England for like a year or 18 months, something, and was very, very good on the setup stuff. So he outsmarted everyone with his setup. I figured out what it was eventually, but it took me a bit longer than that year but um you know it was just really really uh you know all of a sudden us aussie boys were able to compete with the with the you know so-called best in the world because the only way you could ever read about any of that stuff was in autosport yeah for sure and it's you know it, now you you hardly read about uh, anything because there's not that many magazines left around to uh to, to read about that sort of thing. The other no, the other I find that bad myself, but you know, that's me being old fashioned. I'd rather read a magazine than, than uh, with all due respect, yes, Speed Cafe anytime. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> Speed Cafe doing a fantastic job supporting oh, the yeah. Race Fuels Grassroots Racing podcast, of course. Hmm. <laughs> um, I just wanted to, I made a note, made, made various notes here, just, just you know, a couple of lines here and there. <laughs> Um, back to the team Anzet Elfin stuff with um, James Hunt. Were you involved? We might have to do three parter here, mate. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not even three. <laughs> we'll split it up later. Yeah, we're, we're just we're just in the <laughs> early eighties. You know, they're going to slide on in here. But James Hunt, were you around in the team when he came to do the the Rose City race out at Winton? Yes, yes, I was. Uh, only because that was seventy eight, and I'd already driven the five thousand at AIR. And we'd already made plans to build this F2 car, which I owned and Gary owned the engine and Gary ran from the factory. So um, I already had a relationship with him because my dad already had a relationship with him. So uh, Gary sent me a ticket and and a rental car thing and I drove, I flew to Melbourne and drove up to Winton, right? So... We stayed at the top of the no, not yeah, I think the top of the town motel at Benalla. I'm not quite sure. And obviously, I was everybody was in awe of James Hunt. Everybody. And so they had uh, Ansett Team Elfin had before motorhomes. Probably, I'm not sure it was before motorhomes. Before any motor racing people had motorhomes, they had a caravan a nice caravan for him to go in and get away from the people uh after and so after each practice session i was observing you know i was a shy young chap from tassie and i was observing all this stuff you know how he talked to the mechanics and how he adjusted the car and every time he stopped they put it he he demanded they put a new set of tires on it so he had like tires for africa and then when uh 
every practice session he'd go into the caravan with a different girl. <laughs> and I I thought to myself, this is the life for me, I tell you. <laughs> I was like, so, I, I mean, I was, it was that was started my ambition. <laughs> That lit the that lit the flame, didn't it? Right there. That lit the flame, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Unfortunately, it's it's got me into a lot of bother over the years. But anyway, that's another three-hour episode that we can. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> John, that um, mid-eighties feeling with Formula Mondial, um, Pacific Atlantic, as you referred to, was the the correct name internationally for the the formula. The Adelaide Grand Prix, you raced there in 85 and 86. You had your two drivers' championships, your Australian drivers' championships, gold stars in, in those years, 84, 86. The, looking over the fence at, let's say, the Adelaide Grand Prix, you're in an open wheeler. The big, the big show in town, that's open wheelers as well. Was there, were you, did you have your face sort of squashed up against the fence looking into the <laughs> Formula One paddock saying, hey, I want to, I want that to be something that I do next, or was that just uh, uh, you were there to support them and you moved on? Oh yeah, I mean, I, it, there's nobody that would have, probably even now, raced in open wheelers and didn't love Formula One. So you know, we it was a big deal when they came to Adelaide, and we we had never seen it live, and it was just terrific. So we were just on a supporting card, you know. I'd, I'd long since given the idea, you know, the dream away because it was a dream. So as many have had before, you know, uh, but to, to watch those F1 cars of that era, you know, they were turbo cars and they were pretty specky. And it was we, we had uh, grandstand seats, so we'd go and do our thing as a support category with a lot of cars in it too, a lot of, open wheel cars, you know, Atlantic and Formula 2, Australian Formula 2 cars. And then we go to the grandstand, watch the, the Formula 1 stuff, the practices and qualifying and whatever. So it was an exciting time for Australian motorsport in general. They had Group A cars there too. I remember Gerhard Berger drove a BMW. He was in the Grand Prix. Um, Dick was in his... Um, Nothing. His yeah. 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 So it was, a, you know, really good, good times. Was it? Was there ever a conversation with yourself, with the, you know, the likes of a Ken Tyrrell or a, a Frank Williams or any of those guys that you know? Hey, I'd like to have a go at a go at what you guys do. Any any of that sort of thing ever happened in your life? No, no, not really. I mean, um, in 1980, uh, Didier Peroni came out and drove the other elephant at Calder. Uh, and he said that he would introduce me to people. But, I mean, really, I was, you know, ill-prepared for chasing the dream, to be honest, as a, you know, little young or young, youngish chap from rural Devonport. So, you know, I was happy doing what I was doing, to be honest. But it, in the 96 races, uh, I had driven the touring car, you know, the Volvo dealer team car during the year. And they had uh, pulled the pin, and I I sort of knew at the end of '85 that unless I drove a touring car, I was going to be driving nothing. So I, I pursued a drive in a in a touring car uh, very resolutely. Whether if I had if I had of uh, 
done the same, made the same efforts for Formula One, I'm not sure whether I would have gone anywhere or not, but I probably wouldn't be here now. I probably would have been shortened legs and all that. So who knows? On reflection of your uh, career in open wheelers, the the transition from Formula Five Powers in this country to to the uh, Formula Mondial or Formula Atlantic as you call it, uh, how did you find that? Were you sad to see the end of Formula Five Thousand as a gold star category? And on reflection of those first couple of years of Formula Pacific, Formula Mondial slash Atlantic. <laughs> It was fairly gun ho, wasn't it? And there's a lot of touring car guys in there that treated them like touring cars. Oh yeah, it was very like like a lot of categories when they first start was uh, full of vim and vigor. You know, everybody was excited about it. Uh, John Smith, Andrew Medici, and the late Graham Watson was Charlie very Brian. yeah, but they was pushing it very hard. You know, they. And uh, Peter Williamson, he was, in, and they did a big, big, big lobby on cams, and you know it was, it was the new thing. So five thousand had been fading in entry numbers, and everybody was quite excited about Atlantic because the, the, you know, as I said earlier, the there was uh, a very strong series in the states and a, and a good strong series in England so it was sort of like uh, Group A became it was a world category and we were at that time aligning ourselves with the world so yeah, it was a, it was a very very strong for a, for a while and then as categories do they start fading away people run out of money or they realize that they you know not good enough or I don't know what it is mate but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the racing. The racing was was fierce, and um, they're good operators. You know, the, the, the John Smiths and Charlie, of course, and Andrew and uh, Bruce Allison. Uh, Alfie, of course, was the was the benchmark with Alan Hamilton's car. So yeah, it was really very very good racing. I mean, I'm at the as I sit here, I'm. Very sad they're not running those S five thousands this year, but the same thing happened. Not enough competitors, and um, you know, I mean, those cars I I think are incredibly impressive and challenging. So I'm disappointed that that they can't get the numbers up. To be honest, interesting. Before we sort of move away from the open wheeler side of things. Formula Holden came about fairly quickly after that as well. Did you ever, were you well and truly entrenched into touring cars before the Formula Holden and did you ever get a chance to have a go in one? No, never did. Never did. Didn't. I honestly wasn't very interested because the engine sounded crappy. Um, the, the chassis were interesting, but I never, no, I'd, I'd well and truly crossed over. It is interesting that, that that era. There's a couple of Tasmanians, John Bow and Paul Stokel, that featured, you know, at the top of Gold Star rankings for quite a number of seasons in in two different formulas. But uh, often, when you know, if I look at that and you look at where drivers come from in different states, Tasmania, the the size and the population, those two particular race drivers represented highly at the top end of open wheelers <laughs> through that '80s and '90s sort of time frame, didn't they? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I never thought of it. But, uh, yeah, the I mean, 
whether that's got anything to do with Tasmania or not, I'm not sure. But it's a bit <laughs> or like, a willingness to travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit like the Kiwis, though, isn't it? You know, you can romanticise about it and say, you know, Kiwi roads are challenging and Tassie roads are challenging and not overly populated. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I mean, we produced – Tasmania produced some great drivers before myself or Paul Stokel and great drivers afterwards. So – you know, does that have anything to do with Tasmania or the no, Tasmanian no, it's, War? It is. I'm it's just sure. that 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 is great Australian thing of the uh, the state of origin battle, really, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, yeah, point, it point to the yeah. scoreboard. Look how we're going, John. This has been awesome to talk about open wheelers, and I've got to say, when when we when you agreed to talk to us, I was really looking forward to to, to this part of it, and and I mean not your whole story, but uh, certainly it harks back to my my childhood and my I guess my impression that motorsport made on me. As a kid, via dad who was was heavily involved in that era of uh, of the sport as well, we might uh, we might at this point say, "Hey, that's part one to uh, what was going to be only a part one." John Bow conversation here on the Racefields Grassroots Racing just, podcast. Just before, we, before we go, I've I've since I love open wheelers. I mean, that's my love. Uh, and since those early days, I've driven in a number of historic, different historic cars open wheel cars and I still love them. I mean, my, my uh, mate, Joe Collegia, owned a, a 1974 March F1 car with a Cosworth DFB, but I drove for several years. I raced it here a few times and we raced it in Texas. So I still love them. I'd still, you know. Is that I the, mean, orange, a, the orange one that you, you raced at yeah. Holland a few times? Yeah. Beautiful sounding yeah, vehicle. It was so. a hand-stuck Howden Ganley Lella Lombardi drove it in 1975. It was a be- beautiful car to drive and it was well prepared by his guys. And I, I just loved it, honestly. I, I used to joke with people and say, look, I've finally become a Formula One driver. It's only 30, 30 years too late. You didn't, did you sample the Jägermeister that came with it or not? <laughs> no, no. I don't even know what it is. What is it? <laughs> it's an a alcoholic uh, additive for like a spirit. All right. If you're doing GT4 this season, Bowie, you might have to catch up with, uh, and I'll show you a couple of Jagermeisters. You yeah. usually, usually have them in a nip and you drop them into something else. So it's a like a Jagermeister bomb. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, you seem to be all where you clued up on a gap. You. <laughs> no. Well, we used to, when I used to work for ACP, they, it was a bit of a Friday afternoon tradition by some of the guys. That's all. So I knew a bit about it. When you when you're Gary <laughs> O'Brien and you're hanging around in the media center and the average age is 25, you you keep up with these things, John. <laughs> hey, let's call let's call it quits on 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 verse one here, and uh, we'll uh, if you if you don't mind, we'll uh, we'll go to a part two, John. Yeah, sure, sure. Why not? Terrific that uh, John's going to stay with us, Gaz, uh, and get a. Um, continue his story on to uh, our first ever part two on the grassroots, uh, the Racefields Grassroots Racing podcast. Bit of news just quickly uh, as motorsport uh, community resumes after their uh, short summer break coming out of Motorsport Australia, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Mike Smith departing the scene and uh, taking an overseas appointment. He will be surely missed because he's been one of the real good go getters at uh, Motorsport Australia. Yeah, started there. Uh, I think sort of fresh out of uni as a uh, as a new graduate over twenty years ago. Uh, served a, an apprenticeship with uh, the likes of Rob Nethercote, who's been on our 
show. He employed him into Motorsport Australia. Um, Peter Nelson training him up to be the race secretary of the Australian Grand Prix. And, of course, Michael has been in all the rooms making all the decisions over at least the last 15 years. He sat in as CEO uh, in the, in the um, I guess, the seat whilst they were recruiting for new CEOs on numerous occasions. And, um, yeah, the, the best of wishes. He's not lost to motorsport. He's going on to an international role. So uh, I'm sure we'll see his name around about. But I'm uh, going to miss him. A, a great bloke, Smithy, as I called him. And uh, we might even try and before he jets off. I was off, thinking him of on. that. Yeah, yeah I think he'd be a good one, especially talking about the early years there and uh, working in the Victorian State uh, Council office or yeah. state office. Yeah. Um, the other one, which is an interesting one, another guest of ours, uh, Mike Borland, has... Um, um, sold his uh, the Formula V construction business off to some uh, local Formula V competitors here in Victoria. Yeah, the Sabre Mark, as it's known, won at least 20 state and national championships. Yeah, so that's a bit of a move. Obviously, uh, at this stage, we know keeping hold of the Spectrum Formula Ford side of the business. Yep. which has also been very successful. And you think of the names that have gone through that oh. place and driving those cars. Yeah, lots of Sabres winning um, both you know, across the state championships and even in the national uh, Formula V championship, which which does run in conjunction with state rounds, etc. cetera. Um, so a great success and a, a ripping career as a constructor, a constructor. Mike Ballin, and if you want to, I guess, brush up on all your Mike Ballin stuff, have a look back uh, on Speed Cafe through the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing podcast, and you'll see Mike there and have a bit of a listen to a, a very astute racing guy talking about his time as a, as a constructor. Gaz, I'm going to go and get back out in the sun while uh, Melbourne still has a little bit of sun left. Well, in you summer. might as well. It doesn't happen often. Down it'll it'll disappear in an hour if I if I don't. Uh, we should just touch on what's coming up. Motor, yep. Motor Racing Australia Series starts at Sydney Motorsport Park on February 3. Um, I guess uh, the following weekend, everyone knows that the Shannon Speed Series will be at Sandown along with you, which... I mean, it wouldn't be a proper meeting if you weren't there. There's a draw TCR card, Australia, yeah. Nationals, Trans Am, GT4, production cars and Formula Open are running there. Um, the same weekend, TA2 cars, first of two rounds in New Zealand at the Trans-Tasman Challenge, and that's at the Euromark Motorsport Park over there. And um, I believe RX8 Cup will be running at uh, Phillip Island at probably one of the access meetings, I would imagine, and of course, the following weekend. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, on the following weekend, we've got the Bathurst twelve-hour. Of course, with... the uh, Victorian State Championships start on February seventeen and eighteen there as well. So there's some things happening around the country. The Triple Eight Home Loans uh, Victorian State Circuit Racing Championship Round Two will be at Winton on the sixteenth and seventeenth of March, and then Round Three is at Phillip Island on May 18 and 19. So we're looking a fair way into the future there. We'll remind you of those dates. But uh, the uh, Victorian Sports Car Championship returns to that first round at uh, Sandown in the Triple Eight Home Loans Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships on the 17th and 18th of February. And again, that will be uh, the whole season will be live streamed on Blendline TV, which is really bringing competitors to the track and viewers to to the track as well as they're often reminded by a live streaming to to come to the track which is a great way to promote the sport 
and hear your dulcet tones over the airways as well. Well, if you're live streaming or you're at the track, yes, I can guarantee you'll hear that. <laughs> Callum Brannigan will also be rejoining the team. Dan McCarthy, your old mate from AA days there as well. And Steve DeVries, who's doing a brilliant job covering numerous categories as well. So, Gaz, I'm going to go and get in this sunshine while it's out. Probably have to pull on the uh, the work shirt and mow the lawns first. But uh, that's it. We're back for 2024. Who knew? Well, it's going to be big. It's going to be massive. We'll speak to you again soon, guys. All right. All the best. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. <laughs>